The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Today we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, as well as actually several other passages, and we've got an outline on the back of the bulletin if you wanted to follow along. We were now beginning a series in our church for probably eight weeks or so. We finished the book of Titus. We'll pick up another book in the New Testament. But before we do, I wanted to go back and review some basics of Christianity, like Church Life 101. And so I wanted to do about a seven, eight-week series on what I'm just calling uh, Life in the Body, which is just church life, and reviewing really fundamentals and basics of what it means to be a Christian, especially in the local church. Uh, So last week, young folks who were at the college retreat, you missed uh, session one, and that was... Uh, life in the body, conflict resolution. And we talked about how the Bible tells us how to deal with conflict in the church among brothers and sisters in Christ. God has a plan, Jesus specifically, of how to deal with conflict uh, among believers in the local church, with your Christian friends, and even in your home. So hopefully that was very practical. And today we're looking at our second one, life in the body. And if you want to go ahead and look at that, Uh, And this also has to do with the basics of church life. Um, And the title there, Life in the Body and then Serve with an Exclamation Point. Uh, That actually is the title of one of the chapters in the little book I wrote about church life. That chapter was on serve. And it's written to Christians who are part of a local church, emphasizing a very basic obligation that God has given every Christian in terms of their commitment to the local church. Every Christian should be serving in the local church. Today I'm just going to do a survey and an overview of why that is so according to the Bible, what God has said. These are some great reminders, uh, especially from a pastoral point of view. These are things that uh, the pastors and the elders need to uh, continually be communicating and teaching to the saints. It is mandated of God because it is so central to how a church is to operate and function in an obedient and healthy manner. Uh, so that we could be a church that God will bless. So today, we're looking at life in the body, serve with an exclamation point, uh, looking at selected scriptures. So if you want to follow along, let's go ahead and uh, look at these principles. Uh, One pastor wrote a book on church life and talking about how it is imperative and basic that every Christian be a part of a local church and serving in their local church. And this pastor, well-known pastor, written many books, Uh, in that chapter he says, unfortunately, many Christians and many churches are kind of like a football stadium, big old football stadium, where there's 80,000 spectators of people watching the game, like at a football game, 80,000 people sitting around doing nothing, but watching 24 people do all the work and sweat. He said that's typical in churches, where a lot of people come, sit, Listen in the, uh, sit in the pews and just listen and take it in and take it in and take it in and just remain a spectator while they watch the faithful few actually do the work of the ministry. That was an experienced pastor who said that. He knew from personal experience. He also could say that just from church history, and he could also say that just based on how people are. It's easy to be a spectator, but that is not God's design or calling for anybody who's a Christian uh, with respect to the local church, God has called us to serve. So we want to look at some biblical principles of what it means to be serving in your local church. 
Uh, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't directly apply to you yet. If you're not a Christian, we pray that you would come to embrace Jesus Christ and be saved and brought into the church of Christ. Uh, if you're not a member of GBF, this local church, if you're not a member here, a regular attender, maybe you're just visiting today, but you, are, you have your own local church, actually this applies to you. This is what you should be doing in your local church. Or maybe you're just visiting today and you don't have a local church, you haven't settled down anywhere, but you're a Christian, this applies to you as well. And then those of you who are regular attenders and members of GBF in particular, uh, this message is very specific to us today. So let's go ahead and look at it. Uh, life in the body, what it means to be serving in your local church as mandated by God. And we're going to be looking at several scriptures, so hope you can stay with me. And I've written out some of the most important phrases in these key verses that we're looking at about what it means to serve in the local church. Let's go to point number one on service in the body. It has to do with the main role of the pastor, the main role of the preacher. Uh, many times people have a misunderstanding about what the expectation is regarding the pastor or the elders of the church. Many times it's, oh, the pastors need to be doing everything. The pastors need to be hands-on spearheading and running every ministry. Uh, and that is not true. That's not God's design. That was never his design. It's kind of interesting. If you looked at the entire New Testament and the job description of the pastor and the elder, it doesn't say that pastors and elders are supposed to be doing baptisms. It's kind of interesting. Who's supposed to be doing baptisms in the church? You said? Everybody. It's the Great Commission, right? Pastors can do baptisms, but I think every Christian, as a priest before God, has the authority to do a baptism. That's the model of the New Testament, actually. Paul said, I'm glad that I baptized no one. God did not call me to baptize, but to preach. That's what Paul said. He was emphatic about it. It's also interesting, you won't find any pastors uh, doing weddings or funerals in the New Testament. Unless, of course, you count Jesus, I guess. Yeah, he did some funerals. But he, he had a very unique ministry in funerals because he always, he'd go to the funeral, he'd give a sermon, and then they'd come back to life during the funeral. <laughs> That's just not fair. So they never had a graveside service when he was doing funerals. But uh, So those are just kind of examples of misconceptions of priorities we want to foist onto the clergy, the church guy. Uh, but the New Testament's very clear. So what is the main role? Uh, let's go ahead and look at Ephesians 4 if you've got your finger there. And it's simply just to equip the saints. Equip the saints. The King James says perfect the saints. And like five, 400 years ago, I guess that was probably the proper meaning. But 400 years later, when King James was written, it, it's not the proper meaning because words change and with nuance over time. So perfect today means something different. That's not the best translation of that word. Uh, here in my New American Standard, it's talking about the context is how Christ is going to build his church, the universal church, the historic church, and also the local church. How does the church grow? How does God mature the church, not just in terms of its breadth and the numbers of people, but also in terms of its depth, the maturity that individual Christians have, which also complements the breadth of maturity, but it's God who is maturing and growing the church, and he does it very specifically, and he's actually synergistic about it in terms of incorporating his people as a part of the process. Jesus grows the church, and Jesus uses faithful Christians to grow the church. We are co-laborers of Christ to build the church. That's Paul's terminology, co-laborers. Uh, Jesus is the foreman, and we are the underlings, and we do 
uh, the work in obedience to the master designer. So that's the context of Ephesians 4 here where we're reading. Jesus is building his church. He is up in heaven as the master foreman uh, and the designer. And down on earth, he has left faithful believers and Christians who build the church. They have different gifts. They have different roles. It needs to happen in this manner. Here's how the church grows. Verse 16 says, God's plan is seeking to cause the growth of the body. End of verse 16 is the culmination. That's the goal of this chapter. God is trying to cause growth and maturity in the body of Christ. He wants our church to grow. Well, how does that happen? Pastor Cliff, how are you going to make the church grow? How are you going to make GBF grow? How are you going to make all those Christians grow? Well, I'm not going to do it. God is going to do it. The Spirit of God is going to do it. Uh, the people of God are going to do it together. And here's the master plan of how it's to be done. It's not a mystery. I don't need to read a book and discover the latest fad on how to grow the church. It's right here. Well, how does the church grow? Well, Jesus went into heaven. He ascended on high. He reigns from heaven. He rules over his church. And here's how he expects the church to grow in Ephesians 4.11. He, Jesus Christ, gave some talking about believers, as apostles first, and then prophets. This is where he established the foundation of the Christian church 2,000 years ago. He got it started, laid the foundation, and now for the next 2,000 years, he's been building the building of the church. Started with apostles, then prophets. There are no, there are no more apostles. There are, no, there are no more prophets today. We've talked about that. They laid the foundation of the church. Uh, then after the ministry of the apostles and prophets came, these other ministers or gifts to the church, uh, God gave evangelists. Those are uh, church planters who start churches, among other things. And then also God gave pastors. Once the church is planted, then pastors need to maintain the church and help it grow locally. And teachers of the word of God help the church grow. So those are the leaders. Notice those are all, in terms of gifts, those are people in verse 11. What's your spiritual gift? This is unique because the gifts here are people. The gifts here are men. Usually when you say a gift, you're thinking of uh, some inanimate gift or distribution the Holy Spirit has given to you. Here the gifts are people and men themselves. Verse 11, and they are leadership in the church. So pastors are elders. They would fit under this category in verse 11. So what is the role of a pastor? What is the role of an elder and an authoritative teacher in the church? Why has God given pastors to local churches? Verse 12 says, for, for the purpose of. Here's what pastors and elders are supposed to be doing. Here's how they help the church grow. Pastor McManus, this is what you are to be doing. And your elders, what are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be equipping the saints. That's what it says, equipping the saints. King James says perfecting the saints. Not a good word because that confuses the matter. The better word is equipping. It's actually a word used many times in the New Testament. It's a very specific term. It is a technical term. It is first and foremost a medical term. It's used in Galatians and a couple other contexts. It refers to a doctor or a medical doctor or technician fixing a broken bone and setting it right so that it could be functional again. Or you have a fishing net that's torn. It refers to fixing and mending the fishing net so that the fishing net can be functional and used again for service. That's what that means. So it's a medical term. It referred to the work of doctors who had professional ability, experience, and precision and giftedness at taking that which is not so useful and adjusting it and fine-tuning it and fitting it so that it could then be very functional for service. And that's the role of a pastor. What's a pastor supposed to do? He's supposed to head and take a whole bunch of Christians 
who need some adjustments. That's a, like a di- uh, doctor's chiropractic term. You need an adjustment. Well, all Christians need an adjustment. I need an adjustment. You need an adjustment. We need a bunch of adjustments. That's kind of the medical terminology here. So the pastors are supposed to be teaching and equipping and adjusting and fitting and fine-tuning and healing and equipping and outfitting every Christian. That's, that's the purpose of the pastor. That's what he's supposed to be doing. So we are supposed to be equipping the saints, fitting the saints, fine-tuning the saints for what? Another purpose clause. For the purpose of equipping the saints, equipping Christians, equipping believers. So if you are a Christian and you are in this church, your expectation of your church and your leaders is, I need to be equipped. What does that mean? That doesn't mean I need to be pleased by my leaders. I need to have my ears tickled with every sermon I hear and be entertained. It's not what it's talking about. I need to be equipped as a Christian. I need to be outfitted, biblically speaking, for a purpose. Not just to be entertained in your pew and then lift up a scorecard, 9.7. McManus, you did all right today. 7.2. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep, etc., etc. That's not the purpose of the pastor. It is to equip the saints, fit them, and it says at the middle of verse 12, equip the saints, the believers, for the work of service. For the work of service. The word for service just means ministry. So the pastor is supposed to equip the believers in the local church for the purpose of ministry, to be equipped. So main thing there on point number one is what is the main role of the pastor? It is to equip the saints, fit the saints, prepare the saints, adjust the believers, and sometimes fix or help heal Christians so they'll understand their proper role in the church. Equip the saints. So that's priority number one to life in the body. Let's go on to number two, and this is the complement to point number one. Point number two, what is the main role of the saint or the believer in the local church? Well, of course, uh, doxologically, theologically, it's to worship God. But we're talking practically in terms of ecclesiology, your role in the church. That's what I mean by the main role or priority of the believer in their local church in terms of their contribution, what they are expected by God to do. It is not to sit on the pew and just be a bump on a log. We'll talk a little bit more about that. The main role of the saint is to do the ministry. There it is. Who does the ministry in the local church? Well, it's the people. It's the saints. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's a healthy church. That is a God-blessed church. That's a church that makes a difference. That's a church that pleases God. When the people of God in the congregation are actually the ones doing the ministry. Who runs the the nursery here? I don't. Thank God I don't. Uh, But somebody's running the, 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 the nursery I don't run the fellowship meal. I like the dessert table, but I don't run the, the fellowship meal. So there's a lot of things in terms of ministry that go on. The Bible studies, I don't hands-on run any of the Bible studies. I have a relationship to every one of those ministries I mentioned. It's overseer and trying to be a resource and a help to the saints who do the work of the ministry in the trenches, on the front lines, because that's what God said. Again, this comes right out of Ephesians 4. Let's keep reading in Ephesians 4. Pastors equip the saints to do the work of service, ministry. A couple key words in here. Uh, By the way, verse 12, for the equipping, the fitting, the adjusting, the preparing of the saints. That's anybody who's a Christian. For the work of service. The word work, very specific word. It means to work. It is an action word. It's the word where we actually get ergonomics from in the work situation where you're doing work. 
the Christian needs to work. How are you working in the local church? That's the point of emphasis here. Do the ministry. Do as a verb. So in your handout there, I highlighted a couple of words. Saints are supposed to be uh, equipped so that they can, quote, do the work, the work. And then it goes on and he says, according to the proper working of each individual. Two times, Paul uses two different verbs to talk about what a Christian is supposed to be doing in the local church. What kind of work are you doing in your local church? That's the question. That is the point of emphasis right here. That's how God grows his church. If you have passive Christians sitting in the pews doing nothing, that violates this text. Because these are action words. And it's two different words for work. The second word uh, right there in your outline where it says working, the working of each individual, energeion. That's where we get the word energy from. Energy. So Christians in the local church are supposed to be working in the ministry providing service. That is God's calling for them. That is his point. That is his purpose for them. Uh, so for the equipping of the saints, back to verse 12, for the work of service. For Why are we supposed to be working in the local church? To the building up of the body of Christ. To the growth of the local church. Do you want your local church to grow? Then you need to be working somewhere in ministry in your local church. That's just, that's all there is to it. There's no other way around it. To the building up. To the edification. Isn't that amazing, though, that we can actually, we have the privilege of partnering with the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, Jesus said, I will build my church, didn't he? He said that. And that still is true. But when he said that, he knew that he was going to incorporate us in the work. I will build my church, and you know what? I'm going to use faithful Christians to do it. And if some Christians are going to be disobedient and be passive and lethargic and isolate themselves and not be a part of it and not be working and not working with energy and not being a part of their local church, Jesus is going to build his church anyway. And he's going to do it with faithful people because that is his plan of building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, he goes on, until we all attain, and now he's talking about God's trying to reach maturity in the local church, until we all attain to the unity of faith. Unity is a mark of maturity in the Christian life. Unity. Division is the exact opposite. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Notice the emphasis here on building the church so that it becomes mature. GBF needs to become mature. What are some earmarks of maturity in our our local church? Uh, Believers who are in our church serving, doing the work of the ministry with the right purpose and goal in obedience on an ongoing regular basis as they're being equipped by their elders and pastors And they're doing it with an attitude of unity in the body, not divisiveness. Because unity is a mark of maturity, according to verse 13. As we're growing in our knowledge of the Son of God, our walk with him, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Again, the imagery of of maturity, verse 14. And as a result, boy, when we're all doing our part, being obedient, serving, working, getting our hands dirty, doing the grunt work of ministry in the local church, things happen. God brings about blessed results. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be uh, children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Don't be distracted by the world. Don't be distracted by wrong thinking. Stay focused in terms of your role in the local church is the point of verse 14. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love with the fellow believers in your local church, we are to grow up. We need to grow up. Can't be babies. Can't be immature. Grow up, this is a mark of maturity. A faithful, committed, persevering Christian in their local church who has a ministry, is serving on a regular basis with the right attitude, 
is someone who has grown up as a Christian. Someone who is flaky, irresponsible, hit and miss, throws in the towel, whines, doesn't have a ministry. That's the opposite of a Christian who's grown up. That is an immature Christian, if they're a Christian at all. And that's what he means. By speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects in Christ, who is the head of the church, verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together. See, we're all, we're all like carrying puzzle pieces together, and we're contributing to the huge, huge massive puzzle picture of the body of Christ. And, and God wants to use every single one of us with our unique gifts and abilities to contribute to the building up of that beautiful picture of the church of Christ Piece by piece, piece by piece, everybody has something to contribute as Christ builds his local church from, the, uh, from whom the whole body, see everybody needs to contribute, nobody left behind, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. What's every joint? Joint is a Christian. And every Christian needs to be supplying something, every one of them. According to the proper working, oh there's that dirty word again, working, work, work, work. What work are you doing in your local church? Well, I don't do work. I go and listen to sermons, and I, I rate them. And then I decide how much I'm going to give in the uh, offering when it comes in afterwards. That might be some people's attitudes, but uh, actually he says, no, we need to be working. We, the elders actually are thankful to God of the high percentage of people we have actually serving in our church on a regular basis because we believe it's higher than the average of what we know of other churches that we're exposed to around the world. So we praise God for that. For the most part, we have saints who understand this. I'm saved, I'm a part of the church, God's given me a ministry, I need to be faithful to my ministry. And that's what Paul says. Proper working of each individual part, every Christian, and this is what causes the growth. And this is what causes the growth of the body. This is real church growth. It's not some gimmick or marketing ploy or secret that somebody else has. It's right here. It's in Scripture. It's the saints doing the work. Of the ministry. So, number two, the main role of the saint is to do the work of the ministry. So, let's go on to number three. Uh, Christians are called to serve. Christians are called to serve. Main verse there is 1 Peter. You can flip back there in your New Testament, 1 Peter 4, looking at verse 10. Uh, God said so. Christians are called to serve. God said so. I'm just going to tell you this right now. 1 Peter 4.10 is the most important verse in the Bible. Ooh, some, I think I just woke somebody up over there. I'll say it again. 1 Peter 4.10 is the most important verse in the Bible. Somebody might be saying, no, it's not. Then I'll say it again. Yeah, it is. How can you say that? Well, I think every verse in the Bible is important. What's the most important verse in the Bible for me? It's the one that I'm reading. They are all equally important. All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, every word, every phrase, every verse came from the almighty mouth and mind of God and was written down in scripture. We, we can't say, oh, I like uh, Romans is more important than Leviticus. No, it's not. Every verse is equally important. Every verse is equally binding. And so we're reading several of these verses that talk about why Christians should be serving in the local church. And some Christians just look, well, I just want theology. I just want to learn. Don't give me that practical stuff that makes me feel guilty, makes me accountable. I just want to, I want to know the five points of Calvinism. Well, 1 Peter 4.10. Incredibly important verse. Um, in keeping with how God grows his church. Christians are called to serve. Called meaning God said so. This is a command. 
So God has commanded every Christian to be serving in their local church with a ministry, serving with a ministry. It is a command. It's just as binding as the Ten Commandments were in any other command in your Bible. Here's the command. Uh, he gives a flurry and a context of how we're supposed to be living with each other in the body of Christ, primarily in love, loving one another, as we are serving Christ shoulder to shoulder together. We're doing it with hospitality, love with one another. We've got a fervent spirit about it. We are excited. We are pa- What are you passionate about? Look at verse 8. Fervent, passionate, burning desire. That's what it means. Zeal, zealous. What are you passionate about? Some people are passionate about uh, video games, entertainment, vacation, sleeping in, etc., etc. What is your passion? Well, Peter's telling us we need to be passionate in our love for one another in the local church and all that God calls us to do. Verse 10, here's the command. As each one, each one, who's each one? Each one is a Christian, every Christian. If you're a Christian, this applies to you, it applies to me. As each one, and it's a fact, this is a given. Every single one of you Christians, the Spirit of God is saying, has received, past tense. When you became a Christian, you received a spiritual gift from God. A unique gift for a very specific purpose. So if you're a Christian, you've got a spiritual gift. And God wants you to use it to serve him. Well, maybe you say, well, I don't know what my gift is. That's totally legitimate. And it, discovering your gift is part of uh, the journey of the Christian life. Other people are supposed to help you. Best way that I've discovered to try to figure out what your gift is if you're really a Christian is just start doing something. Start doing something with the right attitude actively in the local church in terms of serving others, meeting needs, or uh, following your desires. And as you go along the way, godly, mature other Christians, they're going to kind of help you along and push you in the right direction if you get off path. You think, oh, this is my gift. And my, some people might say, well, no, it's not. Uh, you're actually really bad at that. But anyway, keep going. Go that way. And then you bless somebody and they say, man, you are really good at this. You are so encouraging. You're, you know, you are one of the best listeners that I've talked to in the church. I trust you. That's a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12. So, uh, affirmation from other believers helps inform you and helps you discover what your gift is, and it might take some time, but you have got to be proactive in pursuing that and praying to God and asking for the Spirit to help you and to be discerning and ask your leadership and ask others for feedback so they can help you uh, discover your gift. But you don't need to uh, wait till you discover your gift before you start serving. You just need to be active, working, 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 as Paul said three times in Ephesians 4. And right here, as each one, every Christian has received a gift, a special gift, a gift from God, a spiritual gift. It's not a naturally born gift. It is a supernatural, divine gift given by the Spirit of God at His discretion for you, for the church's good, for God's glory. And then here's the verb in verse 10. Well, what do you do when you get this gift? Employ it. It's a, it's a verb. Use it. Do it. Serve. Don't squander it. Don't neglect it. That's the point. Every one of us has a gift. Uh, as each one has received a special gift, employ it, use it, do it. You do it in the local church. You do it in serving one another. That's the motive. Your spiritual gift isn't for you, gaining notoriety. It's not self-centered. It's totally other-oriented towards other people you serve and God giving him glory. So that's the question. Are you a Christian? Well, then you're in verse 10. If you're a Christian, what is your gift? Well, you have it whether you realize what it is or not. Some of you know what your gift is. And then the next question is, are you using it? And are you using it to serve others? And are you using it to serve others in the local church? 
As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. What's a st- You're a steward of that gift. In other words, it doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to me. I have to give it back. I have to give back my gifts that God has given to me as a Christian. And when I have to give it back is at the throne of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the gifts he's given me, whether it's teaching or exhortation. Actually, I told a member of the church this week that I had the gift of uh, receiving because they have the gift of giving. But anyway, and I said, we're a perfect complement. We go together. <laughs> Joke. But anyway. But I am accountable to God for my gift. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But his point here is just use it. You've got a gift, you need to use it. We are called to serve, God said so. So the main role of the pastor, equip the saints. The main role of the saints, do the ministry. Christians are called to serve, God said so. Number four, all believers have a gift. And we hinted at that just now. Every single Christian has a gift. Well, I don't. Well, then you're either not a Christian or you just haven't discovered what your gift is yet. But if you're a Christian, you have a gift because God said it five or six times in the New Testament. You have a gift. Because verse 10 said in 1 Peter 4, as each one has received a gift. It's, it's a definite. It's a no-brainer. You can't quarrel with God. That's what he said. Every single believer has a gift. I put 1 Corinthians 12. We could have gone there where clearly uh, it says the manifestation of the Spirit, the same Spirit works all things. Oh, sorry. Christians are called to serve. Uh, number four, all believers have a gift empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives the gifts to Christians. It's not, you didn't give it to yourself. You didn't get to look at the shelf and pick one. I like that one, and I want that one. Ooh, that one's pretty. Can I have that one? Ooh, this one's kind of showy. Can I have that one? Ooh, that will give me a lot of tent. That's actually what the Corinthians were doing. And Paul said, shame on you. And so he reminds them, you didn't pick the gifts yourself. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 7, and 11. God gave those gifts to you at his own initiative in his sovereignty. You actually had nothing to do with it, nor did I. I have a real dear friend, and she's probably in her 60s now. And she's never been married, and the greatest desire of her heart was always to be married. So she'd always go to her pastor. Pastor, when she was 30, don't have a husband yet. And then she goes, 40 years old. Pastor, don't have a husband yet. This is a true story. Pastor, 50 years old. Pastor, don't have a husband yet. 60 years old. Pastor, I don't have a husband yet. I don't want to. And then he, every time he'd say the same thing. Well, you have a gift. It's the gift of singleness. And she said, I want to give my gift back. I don't like it. That's different than spiritual gifts, but I was just reminded of that. God is the one who sovereignly gives the gifts. And they are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. A, a supernatural spiritual gift is not something we do in our own strength. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He energizes it. He empowers us. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God himself. Very important. All believers have a gift, and we don't do it in our own strength. That is empowered by the Spirit. And that gives us... See, that's why some people will say, well, I don't serve in the church because I don't have anything to do or contribute. Yeah, you do. Well, I'm not gifted in anything, or I'm not good at anything, or they're better than I am. No, it has nothing to do with you. It's not I, I, I. That's self-centered thinking. It's the Holy Spirit. He gave you the gift. He wants to use the gift through you. You are just a lowly, broken vessel of a conduit. Just be obedient so that the Spirit of God can pour His power and energy through you and do His work. Be available. Be faithful. God will do the rest. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a natural ability that we are born, born with, the, the idea of a spiritual gift. Empowered by the God of the universe Himself. So 
All believers have a gift empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number five, the Corinthians had a major problem. Actually, the whole book of 1 Corinthians, like 16 chapters. A huge chunk of the epistle of the Corinthians. Paul was rebuking the Corinthian Christians. Paul planted that church. He started that church. He raised up the leadership in that church. He pastored there for a year and a half after he started that church. He knew that church well. And then when he left, man, they, they got all messed up. And one of the areas where they really got messed up was on gifts, spiritual gifts. They were being self-centered in their gifts. That was one of their main problems. They realized they had gifts. They were proud of it. And they were using their gifts to serve themselves and for their glory. And Paul had to rebuke them and say, your spiritual gift is not for your own good. It's not for your own personal edification. It's not for your own glory. Just the opposite is true. Number five, your gift is for serving the body. Your gift is for serving others. And every passage that talks about spiritual gifts says the same thing, whether it's uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, Matthew 25. They all say the same thing. You have a spiritual gift. It is for serving others, to build them up, to encourage them, to help them grow, to bless them. Well, I didn't get anything out of church today. Well, that is, that's not why you go to church. That's totally wrong. You go to church to worship God, to praise Him, to thank Him, and you also go to church to serve the body of Christ. So actually, that's probably a good statement. I didn't get anything out of church. Amen. But what did you give to church? How did you serve? How did you bless? Scripture is clear about that. Your gift is for serving the body to build the church. Each one, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, each one, every Christian is given a spiritual gift for the common good. See, it's for the good of others. It's for serving others. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 10 said, employ it in serving others. So there's a lot of convicting questions that come through these verses and principles. How are you serving others? Who are you serving in your local church? Well, uh, the, the 49ers play today. They played last week. That's why I didn't go to church. Et cetera, et cetera. We make our excuses. It's about others. It's about God's glory. It's about building Christ's church. Your gift is for serving the body to build others up. Number six. Oh, here's a con- I mean, just a good question. Do you want to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ? Wow. I mean, why would a Christian not want to say, yeah, absolutely? I'll read it again. Do you want to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ? If you're a Christian, you say, yeah, I do. Well, then you can't do it apart from what God has laid out here. You need to be using your gift to serve others in the local church. Number six, you and I as Christians, we are accountable for our gifts. You're accountable for your gift. Jesus will judge and reward based on how we use our gifts. And I alluded to this earlier. First Peter 4.10 again. Uh, he says, employ it, use your gift as good stewards. You can be a bad steward. Jesus said in Matthew 25, lazy steward, wicked steward or slave. You can be a Christian, you can be a steward, and you can be a bad steward. And then you have to stand before the throne of Jesus Christ and give an account. All of us do. And I, one thing I'm pretty sure that Jesus is going to ask of all of us is, I've given you this spiritual gift when you're down on earth, what did you do with it? What do you have to show for it? And then Jesus will have the angels get out their uh, heavenly blowtorches and burn away all the chaff and the wood and the fluff and whatever's left and remains. That's legitimate. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we are all accountable 
for our gift, Jesus will judge and reward how we used our spiritual gifts on the earth now, if you are a Christian. First Peter 4.10 again, as each one has received a special gift or spiritual gift, employ it, use it in serving one another, get this, as good stewards, be a good steward, a faithful steward. And the word for steward there, oikonomoi, it's where we get the word economy from. And that has to do with money and finances. Are we being faithful with our finances? Are we being faithful of valuable, precious commodities that Christ has entrusted to us to use, to invest, and then we go back and we give an accounting? There will be judgment. Read this sobering verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians, flipping back there in your New Testament, chapter 5. This is talking to Christians There are different judgments that people will face. If you're an unbeliever, you will face the great white throne judgment, according to Revelation 20. That's scary. And all it is is you will just be condemned to hell forever. That's what it says. Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. And then there are judgments for believers and only believers. And at that judgment, Christians in heaven, they're not going to be told they're going to hell because they're not going to hell. They're not going to have their sin exposed on some large 3D panoramic colored television screen in heaven for everybody to see all your sins that you committed in life because Jesus died for your sins and my sins. They are as far as the east is from the west. Jesus' blood absorbed all of our sins. What we will be judged for is our faithfulness on earth and how we served Christ. As stewards, were we faithful stewards or not? And then we will be blessed with rewards or we will have loss of reward. Uh, And so that's what 2 Corinthians 5.10, so go ahead and look at it. For we, that's Christians, must all, every single one of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema judgment, the awards ceremony that they had in the Olympics, standing on the platform, and you are awarded based on your performance. Blessings. For we must all appear before the judgment or the Bema seat of Christ in order that each Christian may be recompensed or paid back for their deeds, for the work that they did as faithful stewards on earth, So this is a payment. What color ribbon are you going to get from Jesus? Is it blue, shiny blue, glow-in-the-dark, scratch-and-sniff blue? Is it red? Is it white? Is it yellow? Is it green? Is it uh, puke, olive? I don't know. But the idea is we're being recompensed and paid back by Jesus himself as the judge. Rewarded for the deeds we did. It says for his or her deeds in the body that's on earth, according to what we have done while we are here on earth, whether good things, things that pleased God and contributed to the kingdom of God, or bad is not the best translation. Actually, worthless is the literal translation, whether we did good things or worthless things. There are things that Christians can invest their time and energy in, and they're thinking they're doing the work of God, when in actuality, from God's perspective, it is worthless and a waste of time. And that's when the angels take out their heavenly blowtorches and burn it away. And then what remains is the fine, glistening, silver, gold, precious metals that are precious to Jesus. Those are the kind of works that we will be rewarded for. So that's what that's talking about, is a a judgment where we're going to be held accountable for our gifts. So Jesus, no doubt, is going to ask me, McManus, what would you do with the gift of teaching and preaching? What would you do with the gift of pastor? Were you faithful? That might be a very long conversation. It's kind of scary. And every single one of us will have to have the same conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Each man's work will become evident, clear, clear to the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is 1 Corinthians uh, 3.14 says, and you will receive a reward. That's a good thing. You don't need to be frightened of that. A heavenly reward. 
that you'll be able to enjoy for all eternity. It's amazing. So there is an intended blessing here for the Christian at this great rewards ceremony. And we're not going to be jealous of anybody else's reward in heaven. We will be thankful and celebrate everybody's reward. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul told Timothy, don't neglect your spiritual gift. So it is possible for a Christian to neglect their spiritual gift, to squander it, to misuse it, to be lazy about it, to not employ it. Even Timothy, who was a pastor, associate of Paul, was vulnerable to that, as all of us are. So we all need reminders, don't neglect your gift, don't neglect your gift. Don't. That's the role of the pastor and the elder. Don't neglect your gift, don't neglect your gift. Paul said it to Timothy here. And some Christians might be insulted because they don't want to be told this. They don't want to be reminded because it brings guilt, conviction. I'm just, well, wow, Paul did it to Timothy. Must mean we all need this reminder. Don't neglect your gift. Uh, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. I'm not going to read it, but it's a parable emphasizing the same thing. There's going to be reward and accountability from the Lord Jesus Christ himself for the gifts that he has given us. That's a wonderful section to read and reminded by Jesus himself. So let's go on to number seven. Every member should have a ministry. Every member should have a ministry in the local church. In the local church. So, again, are you a Christian? If you are, my question to you would be, what church are you a member of? Well, our church doesn't have membership. Well, that's fine. There are churches around that don't have, I think PBC doesn't have membership. But are you faithful in your local church at PBC? Are you serving? Do you pray for the elders and the pastors there? Are you accountable to that? those people? Do you give financially if you're able? Do you have a ministry there? Are you obedient there? It means the same thing. You don't have to be a member if the church doesn't have membership. But if the church, local church does have membership, that would be my question. Are you a member and why not? What's preventing you? And then... What is your ministry in that local church? Where are you serving? What kind of work are you doing? What work are you providing so that that local church can grow, as we've, as we've just seen? Uh, every member should have a ministry in the local church. Uh, going back to Ephesians 4, 12 through 16, the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ causes the growth of the body. So anybody that's affiliated with Grace Bible Fellowship on a long-term basis and they get into a, a pattern of contributing nothing, serving nowhere, working nowhere. They're not contributing to the growth of that local church. They're dead weight. I'll never forget listening to Chip Ingram at a KFAX once a year pastor's breakfast conference. He was the guest speaker one year. And he was talking about uh, at his previous church before he was where he's at now in uh, Santa Cruz Bible Church, I think. And he'd been there a long time. And he said, and he's talking to pastors. So he, he knew he had a, an audience who understood his perspective. Because this stuff is very important to pastors. Because this is how the church grows. This is like base, this is fundamental. If saints aren't faithful in this, your church is not going to grow. It is not obedient. It is not healthy. God is not going to bless it. What kind of, what pastor wants to be a part of a church like that? So Chip Ingram knows he has a, you know, an audience who's uh, very attentive and receptive. And so Chip Ingram said, yeah, at our church, uh, and he was talking about this principle that one of our goals and basic priorities of the pastor and the elders of our church, our goal, it's very simple, and our job is to train our people, to train the saints, to equip them for service so that they will do the work of the ministry at our local church. 
And all the pastors are saying, amen, preach it again. Wow, I wish our people were here could hear all this. And then he said at his church, uh, after about six months, he, he will encourage the congregation and ask, if you've been here for six months uh, and you haven't found a place to serve yet, then it's time you need to find a place to serve. And if you can't find a place to serve, then come talk to one of the pastor's elders or come talk to me. I'll find a place for you to serve. My car is dirty. I'll find a place for you to serve. Um, and then he said this. And it was, it's kind of shocking and alarming. And it's like, wow, I thought Chip Ingram was a nice guy. And he said, but I will tell the people, if they've been there six months, if they haven't served, and if they're not willing to serve after six months, then I just tell them they need to leave this church. You need to leave. Go find another church, or maybe you're just not a Christian. You don't belong at church anyway. And we're all like, whoa. Hey, we'll try that at our church and see if anybody comes back the next Sunday. But, uh, but Chip had a, uh, had a point. It's like, wow, how many times do you have to be told something so basic and fundamental to the church and obligation of a Christian? This is Christianity 101. It's your calling in life. It's inheriting your very identity in Jesus Christ, being connected to the church. I think he even said, if you're not serving in the church and you've been at the church for six or more months, you are a leech and a parasite. I, I think, quote, end quote, is what he said. It's like, whew. Maybe that's why Chip ended up at another church shortly thereafter. But, um, all right, let's go ahead and look at our conclusion for reflection. Just some practical principles. Uh, are really convicting questions based on biblical information here. Question A, what is your gift? What is your gift? Okay, if you don't know, ask somebody that's Christian, kind of wise, and they know you. If you don't, come ask uh, pastors, elders, whatever, and we will help you discover that. And that's why we, in our membership class, Tim Wong takes people through that, thinking through their spiritual gift. Uh, B, what is your ministry at GBF? If you're a regular here, especially if you're a member here, what is your ministry at GBF? If you're a member of GBF and you don't have a, a ministry at GBF, you, you need to get one. You need to be involved. doesn't have to be a big thing. It's just contributing somewhere that blesses and helps. And there's plenty of places to serve. Uh, see, what would Jesus say today about your faithfulness in serving at your local church? What would Jesus, the judge, say? It's his church. It's, the, it's his gift that he gave you and me. Would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would, would he say, lazy, wicked slave? Those two phrases come out of Matthew 25. Jesus is talking in Matthew 25. That's between you and Jesus, the judge. D, what is your excuse for not serving in your local church? Not just GBF, but if you go to a local church, what's your excuse? There are excuses. Uh, why don't, after being a part of church ministries and pastoring for over 20 years, here are some of the excuses that I have seen or reasons why. Why Christians do not serve in their local church? Ignorance, lack of teaching, just bad biblical teaching, or they're a new Christian and they haven't learned all the principles yet. That's totally legit and understandable. We have all been there. So there might be a learning curve, and as you take in the Word of God, you'll be okay. You'll get, you'll get on track. Uh, could be what Jesus said in Matthew 25, you're just downright lazy. You don't serve because you're lazy. That's what Jesus said. Uh, or it could be you don't serve because you're selfish, and you just want to be served. I just want to be fed. Go hear a sermon, go home, eat my lunch. That's self-centered. Uh, maybe you don't serve because you have a lack of perseverance or faithfulness. You're tired of doing it. I've been teaching that third grade Sunday school class for 14 years, and I, I quit. I give up. I don't like third graders after all. Or whatever it is. Or maybe you've been serving three weeks and you throw in the towel. That is a lack of faithfulness. Faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We were at a church where we became members in Southern California. There was a lady, she was like 77. She was teaching second grade Sunday school class for over 50 years every Sunday. Amazing. That's faithfulness. 
Uh, some people don't serve in the local church because they love the world. They're distracted by all the stuff. They got the wrong priorities. Some people don't serve in the local church because there's no immediate gratification in it. There's no kickback. What do I get out of it? Lugging all this furniture from here on the stage back there. That gives me a backache. I don't get pats on the back. Whatever, that could be an excuse that people have. No immediate instant gratification, which is what our culture is all about. Uh, some people don't serve in the local church because they have their own agenda of how and when they want to do things. Uh, some people don't serve in the local church because they just downright don't like accountability. Do you know that if you commit to a ministry, that means you usually automatically subject yourself to accountability and you have somebody overlooking you, making sure you show up on time, you do your duty, you're there this week, you're the helper, you're supposed to be there at that time, you are subject to the authority of that leader in that ministry. And some people just don't want accountability. That, that's pride. I remember talking to a brother and we had this long conversation, we're going round and round. By the way, he's not at this church, so I'm not talking about anybody here. Uh, so we're going round and round and round, and uh, finally in the end, he said, you know what, Pastor, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't like accountability. <laughs> I said, oh, wow, thank you for your honesty. You should have said it 50 minutes ago. But I appreciate his honesty. It's what it came down to. Don't want anybody telling me what to do. Uh, and then finally, it could be people don't serve faithfully, regularly, with joy and passion and faithfulness and perseverance, with unity in the local church, because they are not born again. Very possible. Only Christ knows. With that, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll ask God, the, Jesus Christ, the head of the church, to help us remember these scriptures, these biblical truths, so that we can help and be co-laborers with Jesus himself in building the local church. What a great privilege we have, don't we? The only institution on planet Earth that Christ committed to build forever is the Church of Christ on Earth. And we have the privilege of being a part of it, partnering with Him. Father, we thank You for our time together. Time to worship You, to be with the saints, to encourage one another. Time also to look to Your Word, the living Word of God, Scripture, being reminded of these important principles of Your perspective of the Church. It is Your Church Lord Jesus, you said you would build it, but you also told us we could partner with you. You want us to be your co-laborers. And we cherish that opportunity that you've given us. And God, thank you. You haven't left us to ourselves. You've empowered us with the Holy Spirit to give us the capability to serve in the local church in a way that pleases you, that is effective, that encourages and blesses other believers. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our resident energizer to that end. God, remind us all of these truths today, throughout the week. And for God, for those who are struggling and don't have a ministry, they don't know their gift and they're convicted by it uh, and they long to do so, I pray that you would reveal that truth through the Holy Spirit who illuminates, bring godly, wise believers into their life to Help them discover what that is. And God, give us the energy and the grace, all of us, to be faithfully serving with you in the local church. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit GBF sv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.